So I want you to, if you've got your Bibles, to turn there. And while you're turning there, thank Mo for filling in for me a couple weeks ago. He covered a lot of ground on this, did a great job, didn't he? It was great. Yeah. Now for the record, I noticed Mo stopped before he got to the millstone hung around his neck part, so he left that for me. So I'd like to thank you, Mo, uh, for covering, let me have that one. But it's beautiful. I hope that I've read this this week in a way that I've never seen it before. Whenever you read the Bible, if you read through the grace-filled eyes of Jesus, it's so much different. It's so much Jesus in it. So verse 30, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. So he's like, I've got some things I need to say to these guys. And everywhere I go, a crowd is forming, so I gotta keep this on the DL that I'm back in town. This is going home. And uh, so he says to his disciples, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him after three days, he will rise. Unambiguous, no question. This is what, uh, this is the third time, by the way, of, uh, I'm sorry, second of three times of which Mark is recording Jesus, unambiguously saying what's going to happen. And I love this, but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him. Verse uh, 33, so they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Wouldn't it just suck to be a disciple? Because you couldn't say anything that Jesus didn't already know. And there's a little bit of like, okay, you're totally busted. So they're not even gonna say, clearly you already know. So let's get out with it, Jesus. They kept quiet because on the way, what they were busted was they had argued about who is going to be the greatest, right? Jesus talking about, I'm gonna be killed, crucified, resurrected. And they're talking about, well... Who do you think it's going to be, James or John? I get, I get, my money's on Peter. Like, they're all... Uh... So sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. And so he took a little child and uh, placed among them, like put it on his lap is what Matthew tells us. Taking him into his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes, the word welcomes there is a word receive, some of your translations, and it's like receiving the word inside of you. It actually denotes a change that's happening when you receive this child. Whoever receives one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me, my father. And so John, usually it's Peter saying something stupid, so I love it that John finally gets his chance up at bat for saying something stupid. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do you suddenly see why they were arguing about who was the greatest, right? Because what happened just a few chapters, maybe two chapters ago, right? They're talking about someone cast out demons and it didn't work. The disciples tried and it didn't work. And so now these other guys are doing it and it did work. So now we're trying to figure out how can we still be greater than these guys. And the, way, the reason I'm greater is because I'm with him. He, we're close to Jesus and they're not. So this is their whole... Isn't, you don't have to take a very big leap to figure out how they got there. And Jesus said, don't stop him, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name. So they're talking about miracles, and he's saying, look, I'm going to lower the standard. Just a cup of water in my name. Because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. And then he goes into this passage. This, this is all part of the same sermon. 
anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. That is basically Jesus' description of like a John Gotti mob hit, right? We throw him in a sack in the river and put us some cement blocks. It'd be better if you had that happen. Now, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands uh, to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eyes cause you to stumble, pluck it out. Now, what are you thinking? I'm thinking, I'm never getting to heaven. I'm going to be no hands, no feet, right? No arms, no legs, floating in a river. Call me Bob. Sorry, was that not as funny? Because it sounded funny in my head. You know what I'm saying? Floater. Anyway, sorry. Where the worms that eat them do not die and fire is not quenched. My son is like scooching down because, oh, God, Dad, that is so dad joke. Everyone will be salted. Sean, you get it, right? Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that in just the few minutes I have that your word uh, will be a lamp and the light that you promised us that it would be. I pray that, Lord, you're a way better preacher than I am. Your word is more powerful, that it is more powerful uh, in spite of me, not because of me, and that is the prayer that I have for all of us in here this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Mo talked about being humble and humility and did a great job. And so I asked some people in our little private Facebook group, uh, ask your children one question, are you humble? And then send me a video of it. And so these are some of the lovely responses that I received. Are you humble? No, I'm Noah. <laughs> Toby, are you humble? <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you humble? <laughs> the question is, are you humble? Uh, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> are you humble, Story? Yes. Jericho, are you humble? No, I'm not very really humble. No, why not? Well, I'm better than... A tiny better than people, but they're pretty good. But Addison is better than me. So does that make you humble? Um, yes, I'm humble. Wait, yes. what one is humble? Hey Grace, are you humble? Hi. Are you humble? No. No or yes? Hi. Uh, Ella, Eliza, are you humble? No. Are you humble? No. Yes. Hey, Lucy, are you humble? It's humble. Rhodes, are you humble? No. Bowie. Are you humble? Yes, because I like to share. 
Okay. Haven, are you humble? No. I don't like sharing. You don't like sharing? Okay. That's a good answer and very true. <laughs> Ray Clementine, are you humble? Yes. I love everybody and I care about everybody. So let me ask you, by a showing of hands, <laughs> who is humble among us? I think that you're not raising your hand because you don't know what humble means. My son does. <laughs> Jesus just gave us a metric by which we know Humble like a child, that's what Matthew 18 says. When he says, receive a child in Mark, it's to become humble like a child. When you read a, a parable in the scriptures, I don't know if they're teaching this, Melissa, at um, uh, DTS, um, but it's good to recognize who you are in the parable, to know who you are, who is your place in the parable. In this parable, who am I? Am I the child on Jesus' lap, or am I the one cutting my hands off and my feet off and gouging my eyes out? In, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, who are you? Are you the Good Samaritan? I like that one because I want to be the hero. Anybody remember that old song, he poured in the oil and the wine? Where are my charismatics? Somebody? He found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road, and then he poured in the oil and the wine. You don't remember that song? Come on, Jenny knows. Because in that metaphor, is it a lesson about loving your neighbor? Yeah, sure. But the person you are in that parable is the one bleeding and dying on the Jericho row and Jesus comes and he pours the oil and the wine and he takes you to the inn. He heals, he pays for everything, pays for it all and then says, and I'm coming back for you. It's a beautiful picture. In the parable of the lost coin, are you the woman searching frantically for the coin? Or are you the coin? In the parable of the 99, Jesus leaves the 99 for the one. Are you one of the ones that's left behind? No, there are none righteous, no, not one. You are the one he went for. In this parable, who are you? And the answer to that question will change dramatically your entire Christian walk from here and in eternity. To know who you are. Because what are the disciples saying? They want to be great in the kingdom. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them, right? Doesn't say, you idiots, who, you can't be great. He just redefines greatness. For them. Here's what it means to be great. To humble yourself, become like a child. Now, I became like a child today because my son, uh, who is sporting, uh, what size are you now? 13, 10, 12? What are your shoe size? 12? 11, sorry. Well, anyway, he crested by shoe size where now I get to wear his shoes uh, because he's outgrown them. And so I want you to see my exciting new kicks this morning. <laughs> right? So you young fathers know this is, this is coming for you someday. You get to get your kid's shoes and hope he picks wisely. <laughs> so next week I'm going to have a faux hawk and make it all complete. But that's not what he means by becoming like a child. Because he says, he brings this in, this child on his lap, and he says, if you become like this child, you're not only receiving me, you're receiving my father. You are becoming part of my family. My heavenly father. You are now my do you understand? And so the beauty of this is that my identity, if I'm about 
the world standard of greatness, what are the disciples trying to say? Well, because I'm close to Jesus, I'm close to the power, that means I'm powerful, and they're not with us, so they can't be as powerful as we are. They can't be as great as we are. And Jesus flips it on its head and says, no, they're doing it in my name. They're one of us. Just because they're not standing next to me doesn't mean they're not one of us. And what he means by that is this. My son, with these lovely shoes, woke up in my house this morning with my name on his soon-to-be, someday, government ID, right? On his birth certificate, the name of Tyler appears. My daughters woke up in this house. They're the house of Tyler. They are taking on my name. And what does Jesus say here about being great? When you offer a cup of cold water, what? In my name. When you cast out, do miracles, cast out demons, in my name. In my nature, it means that it's no longer about what I'm doing. It means the identity from which I'm doing it from. So when your children grow, they're always going to carry that name, that identity with them, that DNA, that thing. And Jesus on the lap says, this is you. You are not the one cutting your hands off. You are the one sitting on my lap. In my name, in my identity, if you are the child in this, doesn't that change the game for you significantly in how you would walk with Jesus? Because he talks here even about if you're going to go into the heaven, or if you're going to try to get into the kingdom on your own works, by your own behavior, you better get a knife out because you ain't going to make it. Do you understand? Like he's not specifically saying gouge your own eyes out. You understand that, right? This is a metaphor and a simile. But what he's suggesting is you're never going to make it based on how you act or don't act. It won't. You'll have to cut your hands off first before you make it. And then he flips into this idea of like causing a little one to stumble, right? He says, whoever causes a little one to stumble, better than a millstone. And I don't know about you, but all of us have caused little ones to stumble. Matthew 18, when he tells it in that chapter, he says, the way that you make them stumble, listen carefully, is by looking down on them, you have caused them to stumble. So if we're all going to try to get into heaven, we're all trying it that way. We're not going to make it. But making them stumble by looking down on them. Think back to when you were five years old. Anybody in here five? Let me just see real quick, showing your hands. Anybody? Right now, there we go. It's awesome, right? You're awesome. Do you see what she just did? She knows it. But sometime in the next 10 to 12 years of her life, I could ask her that exact same question and she'll say no. Are you beautiful? No. Because somebody at some point is going to look down on them. And if it's not you, it'll be somebody else. And when they look down on them, it will cause them to stumble. And the sin that comes from that fallen world, whether you believe in original sin or not, I do. But if you don't, at some point, by the time you're 10, 12 years old, you're going to now stumble yourself because someone looked down on you and out of the pain and the hurt, you're going to try to medicate that with food, with drugs, with sex. And it's going to leave this giant hole that's going to, someone's going to look and say, are you awesome? And the answer is no, I'm not. I was reading a book this week and this lady was talking about how you're in middle school and how you used to believe that, but you don't anymore because not in this body, not, not with these zits. <laughs> she was like, it's like the zits are like all that anxiety trying to work its way out of my life. But the story, the message, the lie became that you're not and you're not worth it. And so you begin to, like I would begin to, to pull away from that. And now I'm trying to cut my hand off into the kingdom of heaven instead of letting Jesus do it and crawl onto his lap and let him do the work. 
You see, the kingdom of this world, the greatness of this world is an achieved greatness, not a received greatness. And when your greatness is achieved, it can be taken away from you. When you're achieve, if you've achieved well, then you look down on others who didn't maybe achieve it because maybe they didn't work as hard. You would never say that out loud, of course. But the kingdom of this world will all pass away and that achieved greatness will only result in you with no hands and no feet and no eyes going into eternity. But a received greatness, the identity that he wants to give you, this new name that he wants to give you, parable of the lost coin of infinite worth. Christian, that's you. The world's going to tell you it's not. The world, even today, you're going to go and the world's going to try the Genesis 3 world's going to sucker punch and kick. But you have to keep reminding yourself that my identity is of the child, the gold coin, of the lost sheep, of the prodigal son that they threw a party when he came home, of the child on Jesus' lap. That's who you are. And the way that he achieved it, he says in verse 30, he achieves it, we receive it. He achieved it, not with hands cut off, but with hands with nails in the middle of them. He achieved it, not with feet that were cut off, but with nails that were put into the middle of them. His eyes might not have been gouged out, but he was sure blinded because as he bled with the thorns in his brow, the blood would have flowed into it. And if you've ever been punched in the face, and if you're not, you're not a respectable redneck, but I have been punched in the face. It's been a while, in fairness. And you know what blood, if you've ever been punched in the mouth, what's, what's blood taste like? Anyone? Salty. Read the last verse of this passage in verse 50. You will be, quote, salted by fire. Keep the salt among you that you might have peace together. There's two fires. There's an eternal fire. And whatever it is that is on the other side, all I know is it's better that I go in with no hands and no feet than better than that. That's the option. And the other option is to crawl up onto his lap with a new identity and a new name and to be salted. Keep salt among you. I don't know if that's a hundred. I actually, this is a hard passage. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. I emailed Doc Easley. I'm like, I've been struggling over this all week and I emailed. I mean, we got access to the former president of Moody Bible Institute, right? So I'll bet Doc knows. He sends me like five different options of what it might mean. I'm like, well, that didn't help. <laughs> but as I was reading it, it just became so clear to me. Because if it's about Jesus being crucified, resurrected, that he did have blood, and that blood paid for your sin, and that blood would have blinded him with salt so that you could see clearly without it. Keep that salt among you that you might have peace with one another. And you know how that works? Because if I've got that peace, it's because it was a received greatness, not an achieved greatness. We live in a culture that if I achieve it, then I get to look down on you. Or if you achieved it and I didn't, you can look down on me. It never ends. It's what the disciples were trying to do is retrofit the world's greatness onto the kingdom of God and Jesus was having none of it. And you can have peace with each other because then you can achieve. You can go to an Ivy League school, but it isn't because you earned it. It's because of God's grace and mercy giving it to you. Then you don't look down on anybody. 
You keep reminding them. And if you're down and you didn't make it and your application didn't get accepted, you can still say, but by God's grace, this is where I am. Have peace among you by keeping salt among you, the blood of Jesus. Isn't that a precious promise for us? As you are leaving today, think back to who you are in the story. Is this a story about how we should respect and honor children and fight for children and destroy those things that are causing child sex trafficking in our world? Absolutely. Jesus was speaking of value of a child that was foreign to the time that he was in. That's absolutely a lesson for us in the value of all life, whether in the womb or not. Absolutely a lesson. But who am I in the story? It's so much deeper than that. I can quit striving. Moms, you're striving. Try to make sure you don't screw up your kid's life. Newsflash, you're a human. So you put down the striving and step into the identity. It changes your parenting. It changes your spouse. It changes the way you love your spouse. All right, I'm trying to change my spouse, right? Change me. How about that? Let the gospel change me. Let it change you. And I think that the promise for all of us, if I could walk out of here today, just one thing, is to think back. Because is humility a posture or is it a place? I would say it's a posture. I ask you at the beginning, are you humble? I ask you at the beginning, you know, are you humble, are you? But listen, when I ask the children uh, the second question, which is, are you awesome? Hey, buddy. What, Dad? Are you awesome? Yeah. Make them time. Are you awesome? I'm totally awesome. Poppy, are you awesome? Yes. But I didn't have Hey, Rhodes. Hmm? Are you awesome? Yes. Hey, Lucy. Are you beautiful? Yes. Are you awesome? Loud. What? Are you beautiful? Yeah. We need a princess. We need a beautiful and we need a princess. You're beautiful and a princess. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Chloe, next question. Are you beautiful? Yes. You are? Yes. I agree. Haven, are you beautiful? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Chloe, do you think you're awesome? Yes. <laughs> yes. Haven, do you think you're awesome? Yes! All right. Okay, the next question is, are you awesome? Yes. Okay, there we go. <laughs> are you awesome? Yes, I'm awesome. Jericho, are you pretty? Yes. Unicorns. Amos, are you awesome? Yes. Does that mean awesome? Yeah. Why are you awesome? Because I, because I can flip. Because you can flip? Sausages. <laughs> when Jesus said, unless you become humble like a child in Matthew 18, that's what he's talking about. Because in Eden, there was no sin. 
Everybody, everything was awesome. And he came to restore that awesomeness to you. And the false humility of, I wasn't, oh, I don't want to raise my hand. I totally get it. I wouldn't have raised my hand either. But the truth is, is that you were humble the first minute you said, I can't do this on my own. I need you to do it for me. There is no greater act of humility than that. And every step from there on out is one more step in the direction of humility and a direction towards greatness. It's a direction away from the lies of this world and back to the beauty and to the awesomeness of becoming like a child. Eternity doesn't start the moment you take your last breath. It started the moment you said yes to Jesus. One of the things I love, Chris Vroman is with us today. Chris and Lisa have a ministry where they help take people through uh, just working on some stuff. Everybody in this room, by the time you're 13, you can't say I'm beautiful. By the time you're 15, I just don't want anybody even to look at me anymore. I'm just trying not to stand out because lies have been embedded in you. Chris and Lisa do a great job of working to help you find some of those things and find the healing that Jesus can give you for it. Tammy's in here 100%. Yeah, right? He's just going to be in the back of the room. I don't make a dime off of this. But I just want you to know he's here, and that's one of the things that they do in their ministry. Jesus loves you one way or the other. He doesn't care. He's going to love you. And your journey to eternity in a glorified body will one day be that I fully know as I am fully known, and I am completely loved and completely healed and completely his child in his identity. You are the lost coin. You are the sheep that he went for. Do you ever wonder why he didn't just snuff this whole thing out and start over again? He could have. And you wouldn't even know it. <laughs> like you wouldn't know. But why didn't he? Because Phyllis is awesome. And he would know it. If nobody else did, he knew. And he was willing to, instead of start over completely, I'll go through all of this to make sure Phyllis can still be with me. Unless you become humble like a child. The journey of humility is one step, one day at a time. I love to quote Bob Goff that tomorrow I just want to wake up and be the next most humble version of Bob. I can't think of a better definition of the Christian journey. Tomorrow I just want to wake up and be the most hum next most humble version of Darren. And then Tuesday we'll do it again. And the notch, slowly but surely, Eugene Peterson, long obedience in the same direction, takes you ultimately, where did the sheep go? Back to the herd. Where did the lost coin go? Back to the widow. Where did the prodigal son go? Back home. Where did the child in this room with Jesus go? Back to his lap. Because that's your identity. And anything you do that's outside of that is just you forgetting who you are. You're a child of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That Lauren Daigle song that just went massive. Congratulations to John Mays and Centricity Records. How about that? But you know why it went massive? Because she was telling a story that we all, at the core of who we are, need to hear. You say, I am loved when I don't feel a thing. You say, I am strong when I think I am weak. She's preaching the gospel, and the world is so thirsty for it and so hungry for it. 
We ought to reject the world's definition of greatness. Stop trying to achieve it and start receiving the greatness that he has for you. Does it feel weird to say that you're great? Doesn't it? It just, ugh. But that's where he's leading us to. Adam and Eve weren't just sitting around picking flowers and naming bugs. He's like, I want to give you, subdue the earth. I'm giving you a purpose and a meaning because I created you. You're great. And the enemy came, the Genesis 3 world came, and the lies began, and the people began to look down. And then the sin, that to this day, the reverberations of that happened. And the only way for it to ever be healed is for you to receive the greatness that he has. Receive the greatness that came from holes in his hands so that you don't have to cut yours off. Holes in his feet so you don't have to cut yours off. Holes in his head so that you don't have to gouge your eyes out. What a promise. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. If you've never received that, if you've never prayed that, if you've never, you don't know that my identity is in that, you can know it right now because it's a received identity. It's not an achieved one. You think that Jesus came to earth, died, crucified, resurrected on the third day, just as the scriptures foretold, just so I can go to church? That's a lot of work just for that. No, he did it so he could save you out of that. And we come to church, we're just celebrating that. Now, he did it because he loves you and he's got your name. He wants to write his name on you so that you have that new identity too. And as I'm praying as we're going today, you can pray that right now to step into and receive that identity. I'm gonna be standing down here. David, Chandel, would you sit down here too? If someone wants to pray for that, we, you know, I don't have a keyboard and a Yamax DX7 patch to get emotionally, whatever gets you into it. Just know that Jesus wants you with or without the emotional pull. He wants you into his family. And for the rest of us that are already in there, today you are, you have the DNA of Jesus. You are his brother. You are the co-heirs with Christ. In the same way that my children carry the name of Tyler, we carry the name of Christ. If you give even a cup of cold water in my name, surely you won't lose your reward. That's the key to greatness. Heavenly Father, thank you. I spent most of my life trying to figure out how to earn it and all have ended up with hands that needed to be cut off and feet that needed to be cut off. But not in you, Jesus. You're saying that you allow that to happen to you so that I don't have to do that to me. This is an achieved that you achieved. We are now receiving what you have achieved. That's the promise, the glory of God that now fills inside of us is only because of the work that you did, Christ. Thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that your word is much more powerful than my ability to communicate it and that your rhema word today is coming alive in people's hearts, in their souls, and those that right now even are knocking, you're knocking on our heart door, Lord, that we would let you in. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. In the nature of who you are, Jesus, that name that we pray as co-heirs in Christ, that's how we pray, in that name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.